Good morning. Okay, I've got to ask you guys to be honest with me right now, all right? How many of you, when you're having a bad day, it gets better when you know that somebody else is having a day worse than you're having? And if you're not raising your hand right now, you are a liar, all right? My goal is to make your Christmas season better right off the bat by telling you how mine was destroyed for a few years. Um, and it was by one sentence that somebody said to me when I was very young. Um, how many of you had class pictures when you were younger? Okay, and you know, they usually do it like on choir risers like this. And what level do you think, what level do you think I wanted to be on? <laughs> the top, but who do they put on the top? Yeah, the tall people. And who do they put on the front row? Nathan. Nathan. <laughs> the what? Ah, there you go. That's right. The good-looking people. So, kindergarten, front row. First grade, I was on the front row. Second grade, third grade, fourth grade. What row? The front row. So, when I was in fourth grade, I end up going to the dentist. And the dentist, this will all tie together, I promise. The dentist tells me that Nathan... All of your baby teeth have fallen out, and you've got all your, your adult teeth in, and there's something really cool we can do once all your adult teeth are in. We can take measurements of those teeth, and we can estimate how tall you're going to be when you're an adult. So I'm like, well, I would like to know. I mean, I kind of have an idea because my parents are, well, they're like Graham's parents. They're shorter, you know, and so I'm thinking, okay, I do want to know. And so he comes back. And he tells me, Nathan, based on the measurements, we think that by the time you're an adult, you will be six feet tall. Okay, obviously that didn't happen, okay? But more importantly, what that did inside of me is that created this giant expectation inside of me. Because I was always expecting, always anticipating that sooner or later I'm going to hit my growth spurt. And I'm going to be able to ask out girls that are way taller than me at the moment. And so I'm thinking, this is great. And so I go through junior high. I'm still one of the shortest kids in, in my grade. And then I get to high school. And high school, at the time I was thinking, all right, heard and read that a male's growth spurt stops at around 18 to 21 years of age. And so I'm thinking, okay, if it's 18, I've got four years. And I entered high school at five feet tall. So I've got four years to grow a foot. We can do this. So I tried to eat well. I tried all these different things. And, you know, at the end of freshman year, I'm like 5'1". But it was Christmas that year. I remember my parents saying, what do you want for Christmas? And I didn't tell them this. But inside, I'm thinking, I just want to be taller. I just want to get that six-foot mark, you know, because I've got this expectation going. Well, then this happened Christmas of sophomore year, and it happened Christmas of junior year. And I go into senior year, and I'm five feet, three inches tall. And at the beginning of the year, I'm like, all right, nine inches. We got this. <laughs> nine inches. We can do it. And so we get down to like a week before graduation. And it was a week before I turned 18. And at this point, I've given up on Santa Claus and all that. And I've gone to God. And I'm like, all right, Lord, nine inches this week. Come on. <laughs> nine inches. And if you will do that or even give me half of that. I will do anything you ask. I will never sin again. I mean, well, I'm yours. And so, obviously, it didn't happen. At the age of, uh, I graduated high school at 5 feet 3 inches. At the age of 21, I guess it's true, I did, I grew a little more. It's 5'4", and then it stopped. 
And honestly, that was something that really did devastate me for a while. Because growing up, I had it in my mind. I'm going to be six feet tall, and I've got this expectation going. Now, any of you in here who are tall, and by tall, I mean like over five foot, five inches, all right? (laughs) You can't possibly know what that's like. But that dynamic is something that every single person in this room goes through. Because every person in here has an area or areas or a situation in your life where you've got big, huge expectations. And you've got great, big anticipation. And you've got big excitement for something to happen. And what's hard is when it doesn't happen. When you don't see progress, when there's no movement. I mean, that's just the worst, isn't it? And especially this time of year, because there's that Christmas song. Is everybody listening to Christmas music now? Yep, I have to, because I have no choice. But, you know, and so there's that Christmas song. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But I'd be willing to bet that there are people sitting here right now that for you, this is the furthest thing from the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? For you, this might be the least wonderful time of the year. Because there's something about this time of year that magnifies our disappointments in life. You know, because this is supposed to be the season filled with hope and joy and happy and yay and music and lights and cookies and and all that stuff. And when an area of your life doesn't line up with the hope and the joy that we associate with this this time of the year, that's disappointing. And that's discouraging. And we all have it in whatever area of life, maybe for you right now, it would be great during the holiday season to have your finances in such great shape that you could just walk down the street and give money to people, right? You know, or if you're a student, wouldn't it be nice if your teachers would just get in the holiday giving spirit and, you know, just your 67%, just bump it up a little to like 90, you know? (laughs) 23 percentage points, is that too much to ask? No. You know, or maybe it'd be nice for you to go out with your spouse during the holiday season and with all the stress going on and everything else, for you to truly enjoy one another. Or for the family, for everybody to be able to get together at the same time, under the same roof, and celebrate at one time together. Or for you to worship with your friends and family at the same place. Or for this time of year when we celebrate God sending his son to us, that you could truly experience the comfort and the intimacy of that relationship. And see, those are the ideals, but reality doesn't always match up with that, does it? Because for you financially, maybe, well, maybe you're just trying to get through the holiday season without racking up any more debt, let alone being generous to anybody. And it turns out your teachers aren't in a holiday giving spirit, are they? I mean, you're not even getting 0.3 percentage points. You know, are you looking at that letter of rejection from the school you wanted to get into? Or that scholarship you really wanted to get? You know, or you can go out with your spouse and you can play happy, but maybe there was an argument in the car on the way there or on the way home. And the family can't all get together at the same time in the same place. And it feels like you're celebrating the holidays 18 different times at 18 different places. Or your friends aren't here anymore. Or you're looking around and during this time of year when we are supposed to celebrate God sending his son to us. 
you're looking around and saying, I don't feel it. I'm not experiencing that. Where is God? And that, those times, not only do they get discouraging, but if that goes on long enough, you know what we start to do? We start to doubt. We start to doubt ourselves. Maybe something's wrong with me. We doubt other people. Or maybe you even doubt your heavenly father. And it's difficult. And what happens is if that finally goes far enough, we start making this dangerous, dangerous assumption that maybe it's not meant to be. Maybe it's finished. Maybe it's over. You know, maybe I'm not meant to have a strong financial picture. Maybe I'm not meant to be in a relationship. Maybe my family dynamic is meant to be chaotic forever. Or maybe, maybe I'm just not meant to have a relationship with my Heavenly Father because it feels like everybody else does. But maybe I'm not one of, one of His people. And so all that brings up this question that we're going to talk about this morning. Is what do I do? That question is what do I do when I've been hoping and I've been expecting and I've been anticipating and I've been excited for something to happen and I don't see any progress. And it is still. What do I do when it looks like it's over? What do I do when it feels like it's over? What do I do when I think it's over because I don't see anything happening? And that's a question that by the end of this morning, we're going to have an answer to. And the good news is the reason we're going to have an answer to that is because long before this was ever a dilemma for you or for me, this was a dilemma for a whole bunch of people, and God resolved it for them. And so we're going to answer that this morning as well. Now, from the beginning, from near the beginning, God set people up to have these incredible, huge, humongous expectations. Not just in life, but of him especially. And it all started with this promise that he made to one man, a man named Abram, who later became Abraham, like Father Abraham, who had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. I'm not singing for you. All right. But let's look at this promise. Look at on the screen the promise here that Abraham or that God gave Father Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Well, that's a big promise when you're talking to one man. One man, one big promise. And so you can see from the beginning, the expectations are huge. So what happens is Abraham, he eventually has this great grandson named Joseph. And Joseph, he had older brothers who were a little bit jealous of him. And so what they did is they sold him to some people who would eventually take him to Egypt. And then they went and told Joseph's parents that, well, an animal got him. He died. And you think it's a mean story. I thought it was kind of creative. I tried that with my sister. And <laughs> I even tried telling my parents, it's in the Bible. But Well, what happens is Joseph goes to Egypt, and he becomes highly favored in this high-ranking official in Egypt. And as a result, he forgives his brothers. They bring their families to Egypt. And they and their children, they become this highly favored people, the nation of Israel. They became a highly favored people in the nation of Egypt. But over the following 400 years, they go from being this highly favored people with the Egyptians to becoming slaves to the Egyptians. And you look at all that and you go, well, God, 
What happened to the promise? I mean, this once great, big, huge, incredible promise. What happened? Because we were expecting to see something. We were anticipating you were going to do something. Not make us a slave nation in Egypt. Well, God looked down on the people, and what he did is he rose up a leader named Moses. And through a series of events, through Moses, he delivered the Israelites from Egypt. And although they wandered for about 40 years, they eventually ended up in this land that God promised Abraham. And so they're in the promised land, and for the following 300, 325 years, the, the uh, nation of Israel was ruled by judges. And they were appointed to rule over, but also remind the people of what life under God's promises looked like. Now, near the end of that 325 years, God appoints this spokesperson. It's a prophet named Samuel. And he says, look, I'm going to communicate with my people through you, Samuel. Well, one day the people come to Samuel and they're like, you know what? We don't want any judges. And you know what? We don't want you, Samuel. We want what all the nations around us have. We want a king. And God, through Samuel, communicates to those people that if you want a king, it's because you've rejected God as your king. If you want a king, you've rejected God as your king. And he warned them of what life under an earthly king would look like. There would be corruption. There would be greed. And this king would want a fraction of everything that everybody owned. Nevertheless, the people said, okay, well, we still want a king. And so... Sure enough, it plays out exactly as God said it would. From the start, the kings, although God used the kings, in some form or another, they were all, all corrupted. Anytime there was a king on the throne, he was full of corruption. And this went on and this went on. In fact, under a king, the nation of Israel, Abraham's descendants, were split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And it was under a king that that northern kingdom was conquered by another group of people, the Assyrians. And it was under a king that that southern kingdom was conquered by the Babylonians. And eventually they were conquered by the Persians. And once again, you're looking at all this and you're saying, what happened to the promise? I mean, God, it was this great, big, huge, incredible promise. And you got us excited and we're anticipating something and we're expecting. And there's nothing. We've been conquered. I mean, what is this about? Well, the descendants of Abraham have gotten used to this because over and over and over, they would expect and anticipate and get excited and hope only to be buried and buried and buried and buried by other nations and other people. And yet through it all, do you know what God faithfully and consistently did? He would send a spokesperson. He would, he would send a messenger. He would send a reminder or he would work through a king in the form, you know, there'd be a king or a leader or a judge or a prophet. And in fact, there was never any time between 1450 B.C. and 430 B.C. There was never more than 80 or 90 years that went by that there wasn't someone that God sent with a reminder of his promises. But he didn't stop there. In fact, God raised the stakes because he kept reminding them of his promise to make them a great nation. But then he said, you know what? I'm sending somebody. There is going to be a Messiah. There's going to be a Savior who is going to save you. And God's raising the stakes. And he's raising the expectation. And he's raising the anticipation. 
Meanwhile, all, all the people are looking around going, what? I mean, is this really going to happen? So for over a thousand years, he did this. And then everything changed around 430 B.C. We hear from a few last prophets in the Old Testament, Malachi and Haggai and Zechariah, and then nothing. 80, 90 years goes by. Silence. And that's normal for them. They've been used to that. But then another 10 years goes by. And then 10 turns into 30. And 30 turns into 50. And 50 turns into a century. And nothing. And then another century goes by. And by now, it's been generations since anybody has heard of the reminder of God's incredible promises. And at this point, they're thinking, what is going on? But there's also all this upheaval going on. Because this time, it's not the Egyptians, it's not the Assyrians, it's not the Babylonians, it's not the Persians. This time, it's Alexander the Great. And this is a power that the world has never seen the magnitude of. It's far-reaching. Well, eventually, the nation of Israel, they get their independence from Alexander the Great and his generals. But that's short-lived. It lasts about a century, and then a new power rises up. And it's the mighty Roman Empire. And so by the time the mighty Roman Empire shows up, it has been 400 years since God sent one of those spokespeople with a reminder of his promises. Now, if you're, if you're the nation of Israel, what are you thinking? I mean, this is like, this is like when they were younger. Somebody told them, hey, you're going to be six feet tall when you're older. And they're 5'4". And they're like, what happened? Sorry, I'm still getting over this. All right. But they're standing there, and they have got this handful of empty promises. This once strong promise from God is now looking incredibly bleak. And what was once a, lifetime, a lifeline from God is now hanging by a thread. And so what are they thinking? Well, we don't have any scripture from that 400-year period to know what they were going through. But here's what I think. I think that because they were humans like you and me, and because they had a human nature like you and me, well, they probably responded, some of them, like you and me. When we expect and we anticipate and we get excited and we hope to see some progress or some movement in an area of our lives and we don't see it. Like you and me, I wonder if some were disappointed. Like you and me, I wonder if some were discouraged. Like you and me, I wonder if some started to doubt. I mean, they've heard all these stories, but they haven't seen any of it. And it's been 400 years. I mean, is this a myth? Was this a legend? Because we haven't seen anything. Or maybe like you and me, they started making assumptions. Maybe this is over. Maybe, maybe we screwed up. Maybe God's done with us. Maybe he walked out. Maybe he's mad. Maybe he abandoned us. Maybe he put us on the shelf. Maybe he forgot about us. Maybe God is finished with us. And it's in the middle of all this. After 400 years of silence, it's in the middle of the rise of the mighty Roman Empire that the New Testament opens 
and we meet this descendant of one of the early kings of Israel, King David, we meet one of his descendants, a guy named Joseph. And what we find out is that while Abraham's descendants, the nation of Israel, are in the middle of 400 years, actually the end of 400 years of silence from God, we find out that Joseph is also in the middle of a situation that he thinks is over. He's in the middle of a situation that's hanging by a thread. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 1 this morning. This is actually like the first page of the New Testament, if you have your Bible. And if not, <clears throat> excuse me, it'll be on the screen. Listen to this, verse 18. Now this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. Let's stop there for a second. Can you imagine what Joseph is going through? I mean, he is in the middle of a situation that up to this point has been full of expectation and full of anticipation and full of hope and full of excitement. And his fiancée comes to him and says, I'm pregnant. And he's thinking, well, it's not me. So she must have cheated. And then she says something really crazy. No, it's the Holy Spirit. And what do you think he's thinking? Well, we find out what he's thinking. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> no, we find out what he's thinking. Look at the middle of verse 19 again. He decided to break the engagement quietly. To Joseph, this was an end. This was finished. Maybe I just wasn't meant to have a relationship. This is over. I'm breaking the engagement. Well, it goes on. Verse 20. As he considered this, he fell asleep, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Okay, the Bible just kind of, Matthew hits this for like a sentence. But this is huge. It has been 400 years of silence, and God has sent someone. After 400 years... God has sent somebody. Just like that? Like you're just going to start talking to us again? Yeah. And listen to what the angel said. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary. For the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. And before we look at what that message was, this is big too. Because all along, God has been sending somebody, sending somebody to say, here's what to expect. Here's what to anticipate. Here's what to get excited about. But now, now, he's fulfilling. For one of the first times, he's fulfilling those messages that he sent through those spokespeople. Now, don't expect it. Now you're going to experience it. And listen to the message. Listen to the prophecy that this fulfilled. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And he will be called Emmanuel. Which means, and listen to this, God is with us. God is with us. See, Joseph... You thought 
that you weren't meant to have a relationship. And you thought this was over. Maybe this felt like God against you. Maybe this felt like God fighting you. Or Joseph, maybe you and maybe some of your peers thought this was a myth, this was a legend, this was a fairy tale, this was over. That this was God against us, God walked out on us, God forgot about us, God mad at us, God abandoned us, God shelved us, God finished with us. But this is God with us. Let me rephrase that. Right now, some of you are thinking, I'm not meant to be in a relationship because you've made this assumption that it's over. Some of you right now are sitting here and you're thinking, well, I'll go to church, but I haven't really experienced any kind of connection with God. I mean, that's over. It's finished. See, you thought God was against you. But right here, we find out God is with you. With you. And in the middle of this situation, you know what Joseph learned? And you know what I think the nation of Israel learned? And you know what I hope you and I will learn? They learn this. That when you think it's finished, God isn't finished. When you think it's finished, God isn't finished. When you think it's done, God's not done. When you think God is against you, well, God is with you. See, because God doesn't make assumptions the way we make assumptions. We assume that if we look around and it looks like God's presence in our life is just hanging by a thread, well, then he must be done with us. And we think that when we're really experiencing God, well, then maybe then at that point God's with us. But see, God looks at all this, and whether it looks strong to you or it looks like it's in shambles to you, whether it looks like a lifeline to you or a small thread to you, he says, I'm with you, not against you. And so what does all this mean? I mean, what does this mean for us this morning? If it's true that when we think it's finished, God isn't finished, well then, maybe some of the greatest work that God wants to do in your life and in my life is in that area that you've been thinking is finished, that's over. And so my question for you right now is what is that area? You know, as I've been talking, something hopefully has been kind of coming to mind, that area that you've just been thinking it's done. Look, that's not me. That's God speaking to you. That's God laying something on your heart. And maybe that's the area where you think it's finished, but God isn't finished. What's on the verge of ending? What is hanging by a thread right now in your life? You know, maybe, maybe you haven't been to church in years. And you walked out on a relationship with God, but you walked out because you thought he walked out on you. And you thought that was finished, but something nudged you here this morning. It's because God isn't finished. You know, or maybe you've been at church for years, and there's that person that you've been trying and trying and trying and trying and trying to get them to come to church. Or to come to a small group with you, or whatever group you're part of. And you're thinking, they're never going to come. It's over. Well, God's not finished. 
He's not finished. You know, maybe financially you're about to throw in the towel. Or maybe you've got a situation that already ended. You can't bring it back. You know, the bankruptcy papers have been signed. The divorce is final. Those friends aren't here anymore. And you think it's over. But God's not finished. For me, you know how this came about in my life? Oh, man. Four years ago, I was working for this company in the tech center, and I loved it. I loved everybody I worked with. I mean, I enjoyed getting up and going there. I mean, I missed my, my family during the day, but I loved, I loved the people I worked with and the conversations I had with them. And in the middle of it, I was working with the youth here at the church, and I started thinking, it's over. You know, I've, I've had my time working with the youth, but I'm done. I'm finished. And then in the middle of the night, one night, this was not an angel. There was no prophet. Nobody said anything to me. I just sat straight up in bed. Something woke me up and said, Nathan, not done. You're not done working with the youth. And so I went back to everybody that I had a conversation with and said, look, this is over. I'm, I'm done. And said, just kidding. <laughs> and I probably looked crazy. But it was in the area that I was about to let go of that I have experienced that God isn't finished. I mean, I, it, we'd be here all day, but I could just tell you story after story after story of what I've gotten to see God do in the lives of young people because God isn't finished. And it's incredible. And so this morning, on your way out, at the door, somebody's going to meet you guys. And you're going to grab just this small piece of thread. And you have homework this week, all right? Your homework, just for the next seven days, is hold on to this. Keep track of this. And when you look at it, I want you to think of that area of your life that is hanging by a thread. And you think it's over. And you think it's done. And I want you to hold on to this. Because sometimes this is just like God's promises to us. We think it feels like this. There's nothing to it. There's no substance. Maybe that's because God's done. There's nothing more. It's finished. Well, I want you to hold on to this. This next week. As a reminder of what you've got to do. When you think it's finished, hold on. Because God isn't finished. Two months ago, I went to the doctor, and one of the things they always do when you go to the doctor is they weigh you and they get your height, and that's always a sore spot for me, every time. And so I'm on the scale, and she's getting my height, and she goes to write it down, and she's like, wait a second. She comes back and gets my height again, and she's like, no. Are your shoes off? I was like, yeah. <laughs> gets my height again. Guess what? Five foot four and a quarter inch. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now look, again, if you're a tall person, like over five five, you don't care about a sixteenth or an eighth or a quarter or a half inch, but I'll take it. And to me, that says two things. Number one, I actually did the math on this. If I grow a quarter inch every year for the next 48 years, <laughs> When I am 80, I will be six foot four and a quarter. 
So in your face, all right? <laughs> but the second thing, and more importantly, the second thing that tells me is that even in an area that you think is done and over, even when you think it's finished, even if it doesn't look the way you expected it to look, God isn't finished. And that's why you've got to hold on. Can you imagine what would have happened if Joseph let go? If he said goodbye to that relationship with Mary? Would that mean God had stopped working? Not at all. What it would mean is that Joseph missed out on his part of all that. That's why you hold on. You don't want to miss it. And so as we close with the song, that's what I want you guys to consider. Where in my life have I been assuming it's over? And you need to know that when you think it's finished, hold on. Because God isn't finished. God ended something actually over those next couple decades. As we look at Jesus' life, what God finished was sending a spokesperson to communicate with people. He finished that, but he wasn't finished communicating with people because now it was personal. This was God with us. And so consider this week, where have I been assuming it's over? And can I encourage you to hold on because when you think it's finished, God isn't finished.